Mind the gap. If you've ever travelled in the London Underground in the UK, the tube, you've heard that phrase ad nauseum, every train, every stop. I mean, seriously, how can you not notice there's a gap between the train and the platform on your journey moving along? But it is an interesting metaphor for life, though. Mind the gap. The gap between expectations and reality. The gap between intention and impact. The gap between who I am and who I want to be. The gap between what I know and what I do. The gap between faith and my real life. The Apostle Paul, for very different reasons, wrote about a gap in his own life. He once said this, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Anybody ever felt that way? You want to stop eating junk food, but you want to get in shape. You want to stop procrastinating. You want to go to Costco and only spend $50. (laughs) The secret, don't take a cart. You want to live a life that honors God. We are well aware of the gaps in our life. That's not really the problem. The real problem is closing the gap. That's what seems elusive. That's the real problem that most of us face. Have you ever tried to get everybody in your family or in a group of friends to all do something or be somewhere at the same time? It's like herding cats sometimes. There's something about people, the kind of unique God-given personalities that we have, the way we face and do life. It can be difficult to get everybody all in one page, getting people together. When our kids were younger, still in elementary school, we were forever losing at least one of them. Anybody care to guess? Callum, if you're watching this evening, it's you. (laughs) He's in Costa Rica just now. That's why I know he might possibly be watching. He disappeared. Lost him in Zurich train station. It's a huge place to lose a kid. Lost him when we were on holiday in Ticino, and he wandered off to go do something all by himself. But then again, he only takes after his dad. Way back when, I've told some of you this story, when airport security was nothing like it was right now, you know, you could pack your AK-47 and just walk on the plane, nobody cared. No x-rays, no nothing. My wife then, my fiance, Jill, she was living in Berlin, and my gate, our flight was called, I'm fiddling around talking, taking a very long time to say goodbye to her. The women in the crowd can all say, ah, ah, isn't that sweet? He's a nice person. Well, when I eventually boarded the plane, no kidding, I got on, they shut the door and it began to move before I was ever anywhere near the seat. It's hard about getting everybody together and on board. Years ago, before we were empty nesters, when our kids still lived at home, we managed to have a Christmas vacation one year in Mexico. Now, that was not very hard to get everybody out of bed for. It was not very difficult to get cases and luggage packed. It was not very difficult to all be in the car at the right time in the morning. Why? Well, the destination, I guess, is part of it. We're not getting ready for school. We weren't dragging our sorry selves off to work and doing something else. It wasn't another day of routine or household chores. It wasn't shoveling snow. It was the beach. And so much of life seems to be like that. The dull, routine, homework, eating carrots, the stuff that nobody really wants to get done. It doesn't excite us or motivate us. But when the destination promises something that we've been dreaming of, suddenly it changes. A new car, a night out with friends, a great vacation. Suddenly we're all ready and good to go. And sometimes I get the feeling that 
often following Jesus feels routine and dull. It just does. We feel we ought to want to. We feel we ought to be better at this sort of thing. And we know in our hearts we're not. It's hard. We lack the motivation. And the gap in our lives because between who Jesus is calling us to be and who I really am, it's pretty wide. This year at FEC, we've been focusing on a, a number of things as we've kind of thought our way through the year, thinking about going deeper, becoming spiritually strong. We call it grow so often. We've been thinking about becoming Uh, moving closer to one another, becoming relationally connected, we call it connect, an easy word. We've been thinking about reaching further, being more missionally engaged in our communities. We call it serve and share. How do you actually know you're getting anywhere? How do I actually know collectively if we're getting anywhere? What are we doing when we're following Jesus? Do we know where we're going or what's happening? They're good questions. What are we doing? We're participating in God's grand plan to fix everything that's broken in his world, to change everything about it from the way it is to the way it ought to be. Jesus in Revelation chapter 21 says, see, I am making everything new. And where are we going? It's not really a place. It's not that kind of a journey, but it is to a future with God himself. And Jesus spoke in the book of Revelation or John wrote these words down and he said this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. But how do we know we're making progress? How would we know we're getting there? There's the question of the day. How do you know you're growing? How do you know you're going deeper with Jesus? How do we know that we're being spiritually strengthened? How do we mind the gap? It's a great question that refuses a straightforward answer, I think. And yet, Jesus continually calls out to us, follow me. This weekend, Peace mentioned that we're beginning a new series for five weeks that we've called Inhabit. We're going to think about habits, not really so much about bad habits that we've collected over the pace of time, but good habits, core practices, spiritual disciplines, whatever you'd like to call them. Things that give us the opportunity to look at our own hearts and look at our own actions and choices. Things that give us perhaps some shared language, maybe even some shared experiences over the next little while. As we begin to pay close attention to this pursuit, this holy calling of following Jesus. In other words, we have the opportunity to help each other get somewhere, to help each other close the gap, to help each other follow Jesus. Today we begin with a a very simple title, Old Habits Die Hard. (laughs) Well, we know that to be true, but why? 
Why is it so hard to change our habits or to develop new habits? I really have one key verse for us this weekend from the book of Proverbs. That's near the middle of your Bible if you've got a paper copy, electronic type PR and you're already there. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Other translations will put it like this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it, or this. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. More than everything else that we protect, we're being invited here to guard our heart. We lock our vehicles. We turn security systems on at home. We put air tags in our luggage because who knows, you'll never see it again, even possibly if you do have an air tag. But do we guard our hearts? It's an unusual statement really, isn't it? Guard your heart. We're most used to thinking about our minds. Well, I should guard my mind, pay attention to what I read, to what I watch. And those things matter. They really do. But sometimes I think we get the feeling that, or I get the feeling, we see ourselves as like thinking machines. The philosopher Descartes, he had his famous little phrase. We know it, cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. If only I could learn more about Jesus. If only I knew all the Bible stories. Because the real action must be taking place in my mind. It's as though we imagine ourselves at times to be giant bobbleheads. Now, I'm a rather vain person, so I brought mine along with me. (laughs) You will notice one salient factor apart from the white jacket. My hair was his color when I came here. Look what you people have done to me! But I want you to get this. You cannot think your way into becoming more like Jesus. You can't think your way into becoming more like Jesus. There is no such thing as sanctification by information transfer. It doesn't happen. Instead, the proverb is inviting us and instructing us to guard our hearts. Do you know why? Because in the Bible's anatomy of righteousness, the heart signals way more than emotions. We're on our way to Valentine's Day. We'll send and receive little heart things. But as the scriptures talk about hearts, they're describing things like reason and trust. Yes, emotions too, but choices and decisions. Our wants, our desires, our longings, they're at the very core of our identity. This is the wellspring of life. Everything else comes from there. Life flows from the inside out. It's why Jesus' first question in John's gospel, John's story of the life of Jesus, chapter one, verse 38, the first question Jesus asks, what do you want? What do you want? What are your longings and desires? Do you even know? If you're comfortable enough, why don't you tell the person beside you right now, look, you can keep it tone down if it's awkward, but say something to them. What do you think you really want? Go on. If somebody's close enough to you, tell them right now. If you're at home and you're watching, maybe you'd be brave enough to put it in the chat. What's something that you really want for your life that you could talk about? Some of them are funny. No, I want to know what you really want. I think I know actually. But see, when it comes to longings, desires, things can go easily wrong. 
One author, a lady called Ruth Haley Barton, once wrote this, our longing for love is met with relationships that are fairly utilitarian and prone to fall apart under pressure. Our longing for healing and transformation is met with self-help messages that leave us briefly inspired and yet burdened by the pressure of trying to fix ourselves with some new technique or skill. Our longing for a way of life that works is most often met with an invitation to more activity, which unfortunately plays right into our compulsions and the drivenness of Western culture. There's why we need to guard our hearts. And so I want you to look with me at these promises of Jesus with fresh eyes. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus, the one who's asking us, what do you want? Is also promising to fulfill your deepest longings as only he can. Because the one who created us, created us for himself. Augustine once wrote this, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We were made by God and for God. And it's only as we allow Jesus to fulfill our deepest longings that we become fully human. One other pastor, preacher, theologian of the past, a man called Irenaeus, he once wrote this, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. That's why we need to guard our hearts. Your heart is part engine and part GPS. It points and it propels. We're all chasing something or someone. We all have some idea of what we think the future should be, some picture in mind of what our ultimate good life would be. In fact, the Apostle Paul invites us to take inventory so that things can begin to change. Look at these words in his letter to his friends, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says this, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. His metaphor is clothing. But the things that he describes in the closet are virtues. Virtues that seem to be held together by love. In other words, he's actually talking about habits, good moral habits, character traits that are woven into our lives, into who we are, and then they become expressed in the way that we live. Because as we replace some of our bad habits, we become compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient, not because of some law we're trying to keep, not because of some edict that we have to obey, but because we've become those kind of people. How? Well, sometimes it happens by way of imitation. 
We follow the example of other people. Paul once wrote to his friends and he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Spending time with people who radiate the love of Jesus, people in whom we can see the fruit of the Spirit growing, people who have the aroma of Christ about them. When we spend time with them, we learn from them and become like them. Maybe your parents were right when you were younger and they warned you about the company you kept because you'll become like the people you hang out with. We imitate others, whether we recognize it or not. And sometimes it's by practice. It's not simply hanging out with people that we want to be like. It's the routine, the ritual, the practice. We might even say habits. I want to introduce you to my friend, Lindsay. She's going to come up here and join me for a little bit because I wanted to ask her a few questions that we could dialogue about. Why don't you give her, make her feel comfortable and say hi. Lindsay's a health coach. I got that right, eh? That's yeah, right. there you go. Phew. I'm too far wrong. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, what you're up to. Well, I used to be a professional figure skater, and then about 20 years ago, I got into the health and fitness industry. I now have my own gym, and I'm a personal trainer and health coach, and I'm married to my husband, Mark, and we have two girls, and we're very focused on health as a family and uh, building healthy families. It's amazing, isn't it? I was a professional skater, too, at one <laughs> I don't even know how to skate. Let's leave it at that. So you got into health and fitness and challenging yourself, challenging other people. Why is it that people want to be healthier all the time, but they find it so hard to do anything about it? Well, I think everybody wants to be healthier so they live longer. They feel better day to day, but it's tough. It's tough because life is busy. People run short on time. It costs money. And we have some deep, deep habits from childhood and they're really hard to, they're really hard to break. So, um, and as soon as somebody like maybe has one bad day or messes up on a bad habit, they just like, they quit and they decide that, oh, it's not for me. And they go back to those bad habits. Oh, so th this journey from desire, kind of wanting to be a different person, wanting to be the best me, the healthier me, from the desire to the actual discipline of doing it, it seems so hard for so many people. Has it been like that for you? What helped you? It has. I would definitely say it comes from being an athlete. There's a lot of discipline to be an athlete at that top level, um, but it's easy to put into daily life. It's basically, it's putting it into action, taking some activity every day to create the, to create the habits. So um, definitely, you know, we've been talking a little bit about, I shared on social media about um, habit stacking. So it's much easier to add a good habit than try to quit all the bad habits and so I was giving an example this morning on social media that I drink coffee every day you drink coffee every day I do <laughs> and so if I wanted to start walking which now I is a habit for me I started walking on the treadmill but I started walking while drinking my coffee because it was something I was already doing so putting a good habit with a habit you're already doing will help you to snowball and habit stack now, you got sneaky on instant doing this and had this poll asking if I had the same habits as you, I think. What did people actually say? Now I'm really curious. Well, I posted on social media what my habits were, which I did my reading. I go on um, the treadmill with my coconut latte every morning, and then I teach my fitness classes, and I have breakfast. Those are my habits, and I, they're non-negotiable. And so after my habits this morning, I put a poll on there about James, and I said, 
what do you think? Do you think he's... Hanging my head in shame. <laughs> do you think he's doing the same habits? Or do you think... Should we find out what his are? So um, there was a lot of people that want to know what your habits are. Um, and there was a few that thought maybe you did have the same habits as me, but... <laughs> I don't drink coconut latte, that's for sure. I do drink coffee. I've been very good. My neuro team want me to stop drinking coffee at three in the afternoon, and most days I do. My morning habits are usually groaning and wakening up. It's usually become habitual for me to look at the clock, not so much to see how, what time it is or am I late, to see how much sleep I got, because I've been struggling for the past several years at sleeping well. And so it's a bit of a thing, can I get more sleep than I got the week before? I usually then grab my phone, which is not a great habit, but scroll around to see what our kids are doing or what's going on in the world, and then drag my sorry self into the bathroom and swallow a bucket load of pills that I need to get me going for the day, and eventually stumble downstairs, and yes, the coffee's there, then the next coffee's there, then possibly the third coffee is there, but... <laughs> and there's no walking, at least beyond getting to the kitchen. So, as one of the people who's not doing remarkably well here... <laughs> just, why is it bad habits are so easy to form? Well, like I said, they're, you know, something that we've been doing for a long time. They are comfortable too. Um, and we tend to deviate to the things that, you know, feel good or we think that give us a little bit of an immediate reward. And unfortunately, the bad habits tend to do that. The good habits take a little bit longer to be consistent. And um, but the little, when you stack those habits up, they create a lot of little wins, which then add up to big wins and big successes. So if you were giving some advice to me, we'll make it about you, I'm assuming you'll do better than me, but to me, you'd be my coach for a little while. What are some things that I could do that would actually help me just make some good habits, even if it's only one or two, a more integral part of my life? What could I do? Well, when it comes to habits, I would definitely say pick one habit to do at a time and make sure it's something that you are really invested in, you want the outcome for. Um, if you're not invested in it, you're not going to do it. So pick one, do it for a week, one week, and then add another habit once you feel like you're comfortable with that habit. Put your pills beside your coffee if that means if you have to take pills. Put them beside the coffee if you know you drink coffee every day. So put it beside something that you already have a habit, um, but keep it simple, one habit at a time. I don't know why I agreed to be teaching this series. I really, <laughs> I'm the worst person in the world to talk about this. What else would encourage me, at least with good habits, since it does take a longer time seemingly to get rewards from good habits, what else could encourage me to keep trying? Um, a couple of things. I would find a buddy. So whether it's a spouse or a family member or a friend and pick a habit maybe you're going to do together. And it might sound like a lot, but it actually makes it easier that at the beginning of the week on Sunday nights, I plan out my schedule and those habits that aren't as comfortable or easy, um, I put them on my calendar until they become comfortable and it's like a non-negotiable, it's like a doctor's appointment, you don't cancel the doctor and put it in it like an appointment and until it's comfortable and then you can take it off your calendar and add another habit. Okay, I think I'll try. I know loads of people only come to church now and again. You don't come every week. So if you would like not come next week, <laughs> you know, then we won't have to have the diagnostic of how this is all gone. That could be your week. I don't know, go to BAM to do something because now I'm going to have to fess up to how this is going for me. But thank you. Let's say thanks to Lindsay for being thank part you. of this. Thank you. But here's our reality. Habits are habits, whether it's improving your health and fitness or whether it's improving your golf swing 
or whether it's learning the piano, habits are all the same thing. Some studies suggest that up to 40% of what we do in any given day is subconscious, unconscious if you like. It's just habitual, which is actually a useful thing, psychologists think, because that's freeing up your mind to be doing other things and your brain can get on with the stuff it needs to and not bother too much with the habitual activities. But here's the difficult part. So much of what we do by habit is unconscious. We're not even aware of it. It's happening under the hood. It's covert. Psychologists have a name for this. I got to try and say this. Automaticities, I think. Try spelling that. I can't even say it when it's on the page here. There are things that we do without thinking. For the most part, like driving a car. At first, when you start to learn to drive, your senses are hyper alert. You're terrified about everything. You're trying to pay attention to everything you've been told, especially if you're in a stick shift. Mirror, signal, maneuver, braking distance, shoulder tech. Ah, there's so much to remember. But then one day you just do it. You drive the car. You never think about these things. You just drive it. One day you can do it without thinking about it. And on a really bad day, sometimes I end up somewhere thinking, why am I here? Because I'm supposed to be going to a movie, but I'm in the church parking lot and I don't know why I'm there. Though that may have more to do with being old and bad habits. Of course, like driving a car is an intentional thing that eventually gets under the surface and becomes second nature to us. But other habits, other aspects of our life seem to be more unintentional. Maybe it's because of the media we consume. Or perhaps because of the friendships we cultivate. Maybe it's because of where we live or the family we grew up in or with. Stereotypes would be a great example of this sort of thing. An unforced, if you like, habitual, unconscious way of looking at the world and responding accordingly. So for some people, that may be some sort of passive latent racism, perhaps, or prejudice. They weren't necessarily choosing it, at least not at the start. But they can seep into his habits like this, unaware, unacquired, unintentional. But they've become our habits of how we look at our world. Voting patterns are another great example of that. People that were born and live in Alberta vote one way. People that were born and live in BC vote a different sort of way. Because we're shaped by where we live and where we're surrounded by. I think this is an oversimplification, but maybe it helps a little. You could say that education is about learning. The things we're taught, it's very intentional. And formation is so often about doing the things that are more caught and perhaps a little more unintentional. That's why understanding habit matters. It's why guarding our heart matters. Aware of, aware of it or not, we are immersed in this world of ours, a world filled with desires and habits that shape us, and we don't always see it. The mall is a good example. You pop in there, there's an electronic map to show you where you're around, so you know where you're going as we kind of make a religious pilgrimage around the stores. There's icons in the mall. We call them mannequins in the window, but it all amounts to the same thing. To help us visualize what the good life and what my life could be like if I bought something in there. And at the mall, what are we shaped to do? We're shaped to learn how to desire more and more. We're shaped to believe that our longings will be fulfilled when I get to the till and make a purchase. And so I make my ritual sacrifice at the pin machine, tap and go, and I take something home that I think will make me happy. And I know it sounds silly, but reflect with me about what's happening to us unconsciously here. 
Sometimes we feel broken, so we shop to feel better. Sometimes we want to fit in with people, so we shop. Sometimes we recognize other people live a better life than we do, so we shop. And all the while that we're looking for love and joy or friendship or acceptance, we're also internalizing this unconscious habit that says, something's wrong with me. I'm never enough. I'm not good enough. And the answer is obviously to have more. And that also means that we eventually have to start getting rid of things that are so five minutes ago. It's not just shopping now, it's overconsumption. It teaches us to overvalue things. It's consumption that only works if we have exploitative labor far, far away where we don't see it and don't talk about it. So here's something else you could do if the person beside you is comfortable enough to let you. Maybe you could ask someone to have a quick look at the label in the back of your jersey or your shirt or see where it was made. Here, you look at mine. I'll come down here. <laughs> have a look. Let's see, can you see? What does it say? Don't pull too hard, oh. my mic's attached. Uh, boa kisses. Well, I have no idea what that is. Phew, I'm not guilty. Where were your clothes made, do some of you know? They're mostly made where people are living on subsistence or starvation wages. That's where they're made. We internalize a habit that is subconscious of don't ask where it came from. Don't tell anybody some slave made my clothes for me. Don't ask. Don't tell, just consume. That's who we're shaped to become. What is Victoria's secret? She's after your heart. Where's all this going? The goal of our Inhabit series is to help us recalibrate our hearts because we don't even recognize the problem. There's a video I hope you'll take some time to watch, maybe when you get home this evening or after you've been watching online. We'll post the link on social media for you, or you can search for it yourself on YouTube. It's called the Backwards Brain Bicycle. It's set in Amsterdam about a guy who's trying to learn to ride a bicycle where the steering wheel, the, steer, the handlebars have one extra cog. That means when he turns left, the bike goes right. You think it wouldn't be hard to do? Have a look and see what happens. It demonstrates very clearly Old habits die hard. I hope during our little series that we can learn some new habits that help to shape us to become more like Jesus. I hope that we can discover new routines of grace in our lives that change us because while practice doesn't make perfect, it does make possible. I want to say that again for you. Practice doesn't make perfect. You won't automatically become more like Jesus just by trying really hard. But practice does make possible. It makes possible some space in my life for the Holy Spirit to begin changing and shaping me to live a life that honors God, a life that God intended. A guy called Ryan Holiday once said this, routine done for long enough and done sincerely enough becomes more than routine. It becomes ritual. It becomes sanctified and holy. This is about God shaping us as we guard our hearts. Here's a couple of word pictures that I think may help some of us relate to this if you think I'm just confusing you. 
one of us, we, some of us could maybe relate to the picture of curating our heart, the way things get done in a museum. Things are curated and put together to make a particular show with a particular theme or emphasis. The idea is that instead of collecting all sorts of junk in our lives, we take inventory. We make more intentional choices about what it means to follow Jesus, and we choose to guard our heart. For others of you that love working in your garden, maybe you could think about a trellis. It offers support and guidance to the little plants that are beginning to grow. And for us, structures that help support us, enabling us to guard our heart. Some people would call it a rule of life or a common purpose. Some would call it the habitation of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, we're asking ourselves simply the question, how do I want to live so I can be who I want to be? And each week, for the next few weeks, we're going to consider just one habit at a time. It could be a habit of embrace, something that we choose to do. It could be a habit of resistance, something that we're going to learn how to say no to. It could be a contemplative habit, something that allows me to settle down in quiet and make some space to pay attention to God and allow him to be at work in my heart. Sometimes it could be a communal habit, something that allows me to make space to embrace others, other people that God loves and welcome them into my life. And we're doing it together so we can encourage each other, so we can support each other. Essentially, what I'm inviting you to do this weekend is to commit to something you may not want to do, you may not find particularly easy, in the hope that you will develop a new habit in your heart that will lead to a stronger desire to follow Jesus. But maybe today you find yourself at square one. You've never really made a conscious choice to follow Jesus. But you can right now. Because Jesus is here to meet you where you are, not just where you want to be. Or perhaps you find yourself back at square one. You feel like you've screwed up and that your life's a mess. You feel undone. And the great news still is that Jesus is here to meet you today where you are, not simply where you want to be. Maybe you really are further along in the journey of following Jesus, but you still sense a gap. Everything's not quite as you wanted it to be. The great news is Jesus is here, ready to meet you where you are, not just where you want to be. It's great news for all of us that Jesus is here for each one of us. He's in the business of healing broken hearts, of bringing hope to exhausted hearts, of bringing freedom to captive hearts. He's in the business of meeting you right now, where you are today. In a few moments, we're going to witness the baptisms of a number of people whose lives have been radically changed by Jesus. Jesus found them where they were and changed everything. And now they're on that journey of following him. And right now, we receive this invitation from God. Paul writes to his friends and he says this in a paraphrase. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. You fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. 
unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Anybody with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you that though you know us so well and our fragility and our brokenness and sometimes our stubbornness and sinfulness, you still long for us. And Lord, we pray that as we get honest about the gaps in our lives, the places where it doesn't all seem to add up quite so well, we pray that you would meet us there Thank you that you're not here this evening to judge or condemn us, but to bring freedom and to bring hope. And as we examine our hearts and begin a journey towards some fresh habits that we could stack, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage, that you'd help us to lovingly be honest with one another, and pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in us and working through us. Thank you for your love. And whether today's my first day of ever saying, Jesus, I'm here, and this seems crazy, but I'm going to say yes to you. Or whether I'm here acknowledging Jesus. It's been a terrible weekend. I've made some really poor choices. Thank you that you're here with us where we are. We want to be so much further. And so tonight we're saying, come Jesus, have your way in my life, I pray.